On this episode of Architect, we take a look at classroom design, what architects and technology manufacturers can do to help instructors introduce new technology, and how administrators can help teachers make the transition to the next generation of technology-based teaching. All that and more, next on Architect. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Architect, Episode 5, recorded Thursday, August 15th, 2019. Classroom Design. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. This is Architect, a look at the art world of architecture and AV and how the two uh, come together. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. There is a revolution happening in education, an elementary through higher ed. The facilities and spaces are getting smarter and more customizable. In addition to that, the students are bringing their own technology. This change is being pulled by a student body that is increasingly more technical than the last generation. On today's Architect, we'll look at how architects, engineers, and manufacturers meet the needs of today's students and educational institutions. With us to talk about that very thing, joining us from NAC Architecture is first and foremost, Melissa McFadgen. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you. Also is John St. Pierre. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Kelly Hendrickson, welcome. Hi, thanks. And an old friend of Aviation, Ms. Gina Sansevero from Atlas IED. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you so much. It's always good to be here. Always good to see you, ma'am. Uh, all right, so let's let's kind of get into this. Uh, we were talking about you know developing you know classroom space and, and developing classroom uh, design. Uh, Melissa, we'll start with you on this. How does the the current situation with with kids bringing in devices? And I, I say this as we're recording this. My two children, who are thirteen and eleven, will be going into you know junior high. They both have devices. How does how does that dynamic change? Um, change the design process? Well, it, it changes everything. The, the design process, um, when you're thinking about designing schools, educational spaces for individuals, for children who are digital natives, uh, digital technology access to information is not something that's new to them, but often there is a bit of a disconnect by uh, the administrators or the teachers or the other individuals within the district who are teaching these young students on what does the educational model look like? How do you deliver education and teach to students who have the world now at their finger, fingertips? They have access to every bit of information uh, Google has on it. And so how do you make sure that the environment that you're creating for them, the opportunities that you're creating for them are ones in which will resonate, will provide the ability to truly touch these kids. And I think with that, there's really the advent and understanding of a wide variety of learning styles and aptitudes and ways to connect with, with children. And so in terms of just um, accessing students, the evolution of the educational model and the built environment, um, it is radically changing because of the fact that all the knowledge resides in the hands of the students as opposed to a single instructor that's now in, that previously was in the front of the classroom. 
is the reason that, that there's might be not, I'm not going to call it a disconnect, but but some hurdles that administrators have to overcome is the fact that they're not digital natives, right? Yeah, a lot of them are uh, millennials or baby boomers, and, and you know um, they're probably a, a few baby boomers that are, have not retired yet, but also Gen Xers that these these are generations that did not necessarily grow up with the technology that these students are walking into the classrooms with. Absolutely, and it's something too where. Um, we grew up with the model of you go into the classroom and there's 30 desks and they're all in a row and you sit in your desk and you look at your teacher and the teacher says, okay, well, we're going to learn X, Y, and Z today. And so as a student, you take that in, you write notes, you uh, research uh, individually uh, within the library or other spaces, and then you take a test and that grades your aptitude or ability to um, share what you learn. Now, uh, when you look at uh, the teachers and the students who are, who are um, sitting in their classrooms, it's a completely different model. Um, and students are needing skills that are very different today than they previously had. The skills and the ability to critically think, the uh, ability to work collaboratively, uh, communication, uh, the, the jobs that these students will have as adults often aren't even on the radar screen yet. Um, I think too, I mean, it's the idea that these kids are sort of self-starters on the education front. I mean, they're gonna go after the information they want. And so I think that looks different. They might be working with a peer and the teacher might initially think, are they really working? But they've found a website that gives them the information they're looking for. They're talking about it. They're doodling on a notepad. I mean, it's it's, much more personal, their education model right now. Mm -hmm. So can I ask you a question? How did, has that um, changed how designers are interacting with their clients? Because to me, it seems like then the ideal stakeholder here has changed from administrators and current instructors to students and instructors who are currently being trained to be instructors. So like pre-instructors, right? The, those students in college who are, who are looking at classrooms with new eyes, not the ones who have been teaching in a stage on the stage type of environment um, for the past 10 years. So, so how has that changed for you? And, and who are you asking to speak with? So it really depends. You know, every every district has a different structure, and some are more open, some are more um, closed, and, and a smaller, narrow group. But the fundamental component that we are now starting with is is a envisioning or visioning process, and it's really not talking about the built environment. It's talking about what are the skills that students are going to need when they graduate to be able to succeed. When you look at what employers want today and what they're finding most attractive, it's not a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or some other certification. It's the soft skills. It's the ability to connect, to operate in a global world and a global economy. And so when we have these conversations, Kelly and I often um, are the ones in the front um, kind of laying down this, this information. Sometimes it's received well, sometimes it's, you know, oh gosh, you don't know what you're talking about, and that's okay, but it's trying to prep people with uh, what are the students going to need that you're in front of, that you're responsible for to succeed. 
Well, and I think it's also talking about activities. What what kind of teaching is going to occur? You know, is it peer to peer? Is it group work? What is it? How is it going to happen? Do you need more space? What kind of furniture is in the room? It's also we're having a lot of um, schools want to engage students. What do students want in their spaces? Sort of defining that for them. Um, I think the current generation that's in school has ownership over where their their education's going, and they're making choices about their education really early. It's also. Oh, I'm just going to say something that, and this is occurring. Technology needs to happen earlier on in the process. Mm -hmm. In the past, it seems that it's it's been more of a, a an afterthought or something that comes after the design or the form of the space. And <laughs> and now now that needs to be part of the conversation early on, involving the users, the students, the administration, basically everybody, uh, to have that input, everything up front initially. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. flexibility takes a lot of effort from a technology standpoint yes, and it, from a design standpoint. It impacts the furniture. It impacts the the, the the aesthetics of the space. It impacts you know the colors of the walls, the type of ceiling and infrastructure. You know the acoustics of the space as well. So there's just a lot involved in it that it needs to occur early and on. Gina, to your point of the stage on the stage, <clears throat> I think a big deviation in that too is the fact that education is mobile. You can take a tablet outside and class can be outside and you still have access to information. You do not need to be located in a room uh, in front of the teacher. That learning can happen everywhere throughout the school, throughout the space, inside, outside. Doesn't matter the environment in which the students are at. They have the world at their fingertips again just because of the access to technology. So I think that the um, kind of structure of the classroom space, the the needs of the individuals, as as Kelly was saying, it's it's becoming a much more student centered, uh, student directed education. And of course, that model changes from kindergartners to uh, high schoolers. But still, that ability to kind of choose your own adventure and guide, you are not uh, stuck, tethered to a device or a desk, you can be anywhere and have access to educational opportunities. That's a great segue to that we're seeing everything go wireless. Mm -hmm. You know, it's either going Bluetooth or IR or RF type of communications uh, with devices, you know, and that leads it being bringing in your personal device and using it within a space as well. Um, obviously, there's some security issues and that type of thing that we, you kind of have to address internally to the schools, but um, they all kind of have their own policies and direction. But Again, that's that flexibility to go down the hall to a breakout spot pod or a breakout space and be able to have the same technology with the same device that you just walked out of your classroom with and utilize it um, very intuitively and simply. So. Mm -hmm. I love that because 10 years ago, we were maybe 15 years ago, we were talking about technology in the schools only as a tool for continuity of learning. You know, some some uh, snow days happen, uh, a teacher is out ill, a student is out ill um, for an extended period of time. And so you are able to bring that classroom, um, well, to a certain extent, that classroom environment into that student, right? Where they had access to the classes or they had access to the teacher for a certain period of time and then they moved on. Um, now we're talking about it, not from a continuity of learning standpoint, but from a, how do we engage students while they're even in the classroom? This is not even talking about the, the teleconference or the video conference capabilities or the archiving of, and on-demand capabilities, but it's really about 
bringing technology um, into the school and then allowing them to understand how to use it outside of school as well. So that's really a, a cool, cool transition over the past 10 years. Well, let me bring something in because you, you guys have talked about the, the, you know, the BYOD and bringing the kids' devices. There are still institutions, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to point so much towards the higher education because higher education, at least from my perspective, seems to be a little bit more uh, cutting edge, right? They're, they're more open to students bringing in devices. They're more open to those devices being on the, on the network, to, to John's point. But it's it's the it's the younger generations, right? This is a high school and even in, in a middle school and in, in grade school, where the, the administrators tend to be more skittish, right? And, and maybe it's security, right? Maybe it is security. But how do we overcome some of those hurdles to get it to the point where we're engaging these students at, at a much younger age to you know to, to to Melissa's point, meeting them where they are because they are growing up with this technology. So I guess for us, um, it is something that a lot of it, from when, when we work with school districts, uh, a lot of it does go back to professional development and training. Uh, the smoother that transition can be for a teacher, instructor, whatever their role may be in the school, to be able to come into a, a room, access information easily, not sit there fussing around with a Chromebook trying to get it to connect, and this gets having issues. And what we're finding is that it's really the kids lead the way. They do not hesitate. And it's almost, um, and I say this honestly from personal experience, uh, I have a first grader and third grader. And when I go into their classrooms and the kids independently go pull out their Chromebook from the, the, the rack, set it up, they're able to throw images up on the screen. And I mean, it is such a... It was awe-inspiring to me to see how seamless it was from the perspective of a child. And so it's almost like the instructors have to kind of get on board because if they, they don't, I mean, the, the kids are moving uh, rapidly past them. But it is about investing in professional development, supporting the educators, supporting the networks and the systems to make sure that they are as seamless as possible because the most important thing is delivery of education not trying to work through technical issues during classroom time. Yeah. Well, can I ask a question now? I'm so sorry, Tim. I feel like I'm completely stepping on toes. But, but so what's interesting to me is that very often as a manufacturer, when you're talking to um, educators and administrators, uh, their response is, how is this going to affect student outcomes, right? So they're willing to absolutely invest in some, something that has been proven to increase student outcomes. Um, when you're going in, uh, you know, and talking about entire new buildings or entire building re renovations and and mixing things up a bit, what do you, where do you go to find information about what specifically has affected student outcomes? Is there research? Um, what are those pieces of technology that you can say, okay, this has been proven, rather than well, the students are asking for it, so let's just give it to them. So. I, I will jump in, you guys. Um, I guess one of the things, so sometimes that is missing. Um, there is a, a gap, particularly with new or renovated buildings. So some of the tools we're actually starting to generate in-house. A user guide that's um, 
is delivered to the student, to the faculty, to um, the administrators on day one that starts to explain some of the nuances of behind the building and some of the ways that the detailed information is um, in, embedded into the building to hopefully make life simpler. I mean, a, one that we hear often, which is a little bit different than AB, but is we have to have occupancy sensors in our rooms so that the lights turn off when someone's not in there. Uh, energy conservation. Well, if a teacher is sitting at their desk for longer than five or 10 minutes and there's no activity in the room, the room will go dark. And so it's explaining why these things are happening on the AV um, console control panel in the front of the room. Why do we have five different stages for lights and what happens when you hit each of those buttons? And it's something that there is always training off the bat, but for the life of those classrooms, what's going to be the tools to allow them to um, interface with that? Uh, and as far as research, um, honestly, we have an in-house research department that is exploring a lot of these um, kind of nuanced pieces of information that can hopefully provide clients with that, that hard data that illustrates if this is implemented, then this is the result. I think though we we do also struggle, particularly with larger school districts, they're very concerned about parity and they might employ technology continually. They kind of just repeat it. And so sometimes stepping in and saying, do you want to try something new is, is very scary for them. Um, so bringing in our research, bringing in John, um, doing tests of, of how that technology could change the classroom for them is important, but um, sometimes we do run into those issues where it's like, well, we've been using this and all our schools have this technology and, and you know, how to, how to get them to change. I'm sorry, Joe, really quickly, Kelly, I, explain to me what, what, when they're concerned about parity, are they concerned about parity between, between the schools, like the different schools within yeah. the system? Okay. Yeah, so um, school X, Y, and Z is on the west side of the city, and school ABC is on the east side, and parents and teachers talk. Oh, you got this technology. What? Wait a minute. Why doesn't my kid have that technology? And so that's, it's an issue. I mean, it's a real issue for our, our, our schools. It, just for the record, it's, it's an issue within school districts. It's also an issue between school districts. Um, Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, can of worms that we, we don't have time. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Well, no, I'm just going to say there's su there's such a generational gap uh, between uh, the teachers and and the students. Um, obviously, as we've been talking, you know, the students are the ones that carry all of the. My kids in elementary school had phones, cell phones, and access to it nowadays. And obviously, when I was a kid, that was not the case. But um, they're coming into the classroom with extensive knowledge uh, beyond that of the teacher. And now we're coming into classrooms and districts that are really either small, uh, more so smaller districts and larger districts, and trying to um, educate them because that's really what we're end up doing. We're trying to educate them on the technology that's available, what what we're seeing in trends in schools, whether it be the larger or smaller school districts, and, and just trying to basically get them to take a look at the technology and decide if it's appropriate for their application based on their needs and their uses. So, um, well, and it's scary for them. I mean, that's yeah. that's uh taxpayer dollars and they want to make the right choice um so we understand the hesitation sometimes about making a big change well it is it is hard too because when you look at the duration of a lot of our projects from when a bond or the money is available to when a building is built can be four or five years and you guys know that in four or five years that's 
decades. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's lifetimes in the, in the world of technology. And so um, trying to uh, provide them with enough information to make the most wise decision that is sustainable for their district, recognizing the uh, rapid evolution of technology and educational delivery, um, it, it's, it's tricky. And it is, I mean, as Ken, Kelly said, we empathize with the districts because these are extraordinarily expensive decisions that often there isn't the funds to change course if it doesn't work. And um, they're, these are 50 year buildings. And so how do you make the most wise decisions um, today for the next five decades? And it's, it's tricky. Well, Gina, I'm bringing you on this. As, as Gina's worked for manufacturer for, for years, um, how do you guys as, as manufacturers develop products that are both leading, you know, cutting edge that, that you know, utilizes the, the best of technology while at the same time assuaging some of those concerns about trying mm -hmm. something new, trying something scary because, you know, the, the, you know, Melissa's right. This is a lot of money and, and they don't, you know, school districts don't get to do this very often. Right. Um, so, so this is a, a difficult balance, right? Um, as manufacturers, we look to focus groups very often and we bring in those stakeholders, um, mostly technology managers from different schools, whether it's higher ed or K-12, and we talk to them about what the plans are and what the goals are for the next you know, year, three years, five years. Um, what does that look like for you? And, and um, what kind of flexibility do you have in your own decision making within your um, district? because maybe there isn't flexibility. I mean, as the NAC group has said, sometimes they just wanna keep it simple and do what they've been doing over and over and replicating that because that's what their instructors are used to. And so, you know, that training does take a lot of time and the adoption does take a lot of time. And if you have an instructor who is unwilling to adapt to the technology in his or her classroom, the student outcomes are gonna dip because it still has a lot to do with the instructor, um, regardless of what the students are demanding, right? So, so that kind of um, adoption is, is critical. So, so we try to put focus groups together. We try to discuss with our specifiers, our architect um, partners, um, what, what are you seeing and, and where should we be taking this? We are all about doing product modification. We are all about focus groups, driving new product development. Um, and when it comes, I mean, from an Atlas standpoint, not only are we in the classroom, but we also have building-wide, campus-wide, and district-wide um, technology. That is a completely different group of stakeholders, right? So we're talking to facilities people, and we're talking to security people, and we're talking to administrators, and we're talking to parents. And we're saying, okay, from a building standpoint, from a safety standpoint, from a security standpoint, these are the technologies that we offer. What are you looking for? And how can we give you something that is not future-proof, because nothing's future-proof, but future-resistant? Uh, Gina, I'm curious, what do you learn? I mean, do you send reps from your company out into the classroom and watch teachers teach with this technology? Do you learn anything from those experiences? Do you... I mean, what do you find? So um, personally, I go to a lot of conferences. 
and I'm involved in those sessions. I am not one of those people that is going to sit at my table and wait for them to come to me. I want to go to these sessions. I want to learn what they're doing. Um, I want to talk to them. I am the incoming president for CCUMC, which is the Consortium for College and University Media Centers, and I'm the, the first president elected that's not an institutional member, so not part of a school, right? So, so I embed myself in these places so that I can learn how this technology is being used. Um, from a focus group standpoint, we bring people in. We'll bring them into our facilities or we'll do regional events at hotels and we'll bring them in and we have really directed questions. Sometimes we'll get technology in their hands and we'll say, what about this do you like, do you not like? Um, sometimes we'll send technology to their sandboxes, um, which I'm sure that you guys are super familiar with sandboxes, but that's where they kind of try out the technology with their instructors and say, okay, this is how you would use this technology. How do you feel about it? What do you feel are the, the pros and the cons here? And how is it going to affect your teaching style? Because then you have to work with an instructional designer. And those instructional designers are going to help you develop the pedagogy that will help to create you know, success in these classrooms that have these new technologies. So, um, I, I mean, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I, another thing that I've kind of noticed as well um, is, how are we training the teachers um, when it comes to technology side of it? We've kind of identified that here, and Kelly might be able to speak to it a little bit better than I can, but um, we identified that in our recent uh, uh, booklet um, meetings and, and brainstorming stuff. So I, I guess kind of it's a question to you, maybe Gina, um, and to ourselves, but how are we um, training and continue to train the teachers on this new technology? It's one thing just to show it to them, send it to them in their inbox, and they look at this great touch panel display, and now, but using it's a whole nother thing and then continuing to do that you know when they shift or new models come out new updates things of this nature so um it's just something we've identified here recently and trying to figure out a, a good way to approach that well and i think as to the point Gina, that you were making is the human factor is one in which we will never uh, not have to have in the forefront of our minds because the instructor is ultimately the one that is impacting the lives of every student in their room, regardless of age, regardless of background, learning style, and their ability to connect and communicate has to uh, be excellent to allow that student to get what they need, regardless of the technological component. And so it is the navigation of all those different stakeholders but then ultimately it's that instructor in the room who needs to have the ability to uh, just embrace their uh, tool set and use the tools that will most effectively connect with their students. And I, and I think that, that the human factor is just the critical component in, in all of this, uh, regardless of where technology goes. Absolutely agreed. All right, guys, as we wrap up here, we, we've, we've kind of hit around this a little bit, but, but how does pedagogy dictate or, or direct uh, the design of, of the technology requirements? Or is it the opposite where, as Gina said, you bring in new technology and then you have to start talking with the teachers about how that impacts the, the teaching styles? Well, <laughs> one's the cart and sometimes one's the horse. Okay. <laughs> um, I think in the optimum, they're happening concurrently. And then the reality, that is the beauty of the length of time that our design process and then ultimately the construction process occurs, is if those conversations about curriculum are occurring 
and uh, pedagogical delivery, uh, philosophical approaches, if those are occurring in the same conversations that you're talking about what um, space requirements are going to be, then the district has four, three, four, maybe five years, depending, depending on the size of the school, uh, to provide that training, to provide that shift, that curriculum development, all of the uh, backbone to allow for students, or excuse me, uh, teachers, faculty, staff to be prepared on ribbon cutting day of uh, the final grand opening. But it is years, it's years to bring those two in parallel together, the building design and the curriculum uh, redevelopment and the, and the approach. So it, it's, it's as Gina was saying, you're going to have early adopters who are, they're gonna embrace it immediately. And then there's gonna be the ones that say, you know, I've been teaching this for a long time, I've gotta have my document camera and I have to have this and this and this. And, and so how do you bring all those people up together? And, and the, the biggest um, component in terms of um, our ability is the administration needs to adopt this approach. And it needs to be something where a few instructors who are really excited about this often don't have the um, ability to enact change on a district-wide level. And so where we've found it most effective is when the administration embraces it early on, those changes can occur and the building can be designed to, uh, to realize the vision on, on both fronts. Well, I think too, it's, oh, go ahead, Gina. Sorry, Kelly, go ahead, go ahead. I just, I think it's too, it's continuing that education for staff and it's, it's often maybe even bringing in a manufacturer's rep and doing a lesson plan with a teacher that's not comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and sort of widening their viewpoint on how this technology can be used. Because if you haven't used it, you don't know that you could do X, Y, and Z with it, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, what I'm, what I'm seeing is that there's still a real um, divide between how higher ed does it and how K-12 does it. So you, in higher ed, um, you do have those instructional designers that are really dedicated to evaluating the technology even before um, it's installed and saying, okay, we can come up with a pedagogy that will match the, the capabilities of this technology or that will that will um, enhance the capabilities of this technology uh, but in k-12 I feel like that's still a little bit lacking um, I, I feel like those instructional just designers just aren't necessarily there yet the, the CTO or the CIO of the district and the, um, the superintendent kind of come together and and you know you, you're supposed to have all these stakeholders but they're like okay well yeah let's implement that that sounds good and then bleh, the teachers fall short <laughs> so so but in higher ed they really do have a, a different support system and so i'm seeing that more happen in tandem more happen like melissa like you were saying that as the optimum as the ideal um whereas k-12 i'm seeing that stagnate a little bit i don't know if that's what you're seeing I think, I mean, I, every district is, is different, and um, I think it, a lot of it has to depend on um, opportunity. Uh, there are some school districts, um, for example, I was in a conference and uh, 
Chicago School District said, we know this is important. We don't have the money to enact change globally in all of our schools, but every library is going to be renovated and have some of these technologically advanced tools that any classroom can come down and use and have access to that. We know it's really important. And so I, I think it's, it's kind of uh, one of those situations where, um, where there's a will, there's a way. And uh, people will find a path if it is something that is a priority. There's grants out there. There's, there's a CTE director I was talking to last week for a small school district in Eastern Washington. And he got a $2 million grant. And he is making a community maker space and basically creating this space that is um, embodying all these different uh, resources that will allow people to come in, both in the community as well as in the school district, to introduce themselves to these things otherwise they wouldn't have had access to. So I think a lot of it is um, really dependent on uh, the, the drive of some of the individuals and they will, they will make it happen. Very cool. All right, guys, that'll actually do it uh, for us. Uh, thank you all so much. Ms. Gina Sansevero from Atlas IED. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Tim. And everybody can find us at atlasied.com. Um, also on Twitter at atlas underscore IED or at Gina Sands is my personal account. And I'm looking forward to connecting with everybody there. All right, very good. Uh, also from uh, NAC Architecture First, Melissa McBadgen. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you all. This was so exciting. And I'm waiting <laughs> now that we're over. Um, you can find me at uh, our firm is nacarchitecture.com. Me personally, M. McFadgen at nacarchitecture.com. And I would welcome anyone reaching out to me. All right. Very good. Uh, Kelly Hendrickson also. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, you can reach me at khendrickson at nacarchitecture.com. All right, very good. And last but not least, John St. Pierre. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate talking with everybody. It's been wonderful to be here. Uh, you can reach out to me at NAC Architecture as well. Uh, you can personally reach out to me at jstpierre at nacarchitecture.com. All right. Thank you, guys. And for us, for Aviation, you can go by the website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. While you're there, please check out our supporters section. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you Architect and AV Week and Resi Week and so much more. Uh, and, and Atlas IED is one of them, so we thank them for their support. So all that and more at avianation.tv. That's TV.